Hello and welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where marginalized artists explore the future through the lens of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth, and this is Season 2, Episode 6, The Role of an Artist, with Joel Stein. Today we're going to hear from Joel Stein. He's a civic curator and a writer focused on investigating spatial and social power through contemporary culture, working across art, urbanism, architecture, and social engagement. He serves as a lead editor and writer for The Changing Times and a contributing editor for Deem Journal. He's worked with nonprofits, governments, and institutions across the United States and internationally in Colombia, Italy, Ethiopia, and India. He's received an Autodesk Foundation Design Futures Fellowship, a Banff Curatorial Residency, and he's been a cultural agent for the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture. He holds a Master of Science in Design and Urban Ecologies from Parsons, the New School for Design. He's organized exhibitions and progressive activist art projects for the UN Habitat, the Institute for Public Architecture, People's Climate March, and the Fight for 15 Coalition. Here's Joel. Hi, my name is Joel, and I am a curator and writer. My background that led me to be a curator and writer is actually as an urban planner and designer. That led me to do a lot of work in different cities and different communities around the country and internationally. What always captivated me about that work were hearing the stories of people and their lives and how their lives intersected with other lives in particular places and understanding issues of power and access, inclusion and exclusion, both on the individual level and the community level. And so now as a curator, I work with artists, mostly social practice artists, who are asking these questions through their work and about places and people and systems and structures and to help find ways to put that work into context but also to make them happen. And more recently as a writer, I've been leaning more into my identification as hard of hearing, sensorineuronal hearing loss from birth, having had hearing aids since basically I was a baby. Trying to understand how that has shaped my view of the world and what to ask, but also how other people experience their capabilities or disabilities in different ways, not just as people of hard of hearing, but people with all different types of disabilities across the spectrum, but then also reframing disability, right? Not as a source of a lack thereof, but as a different way of viewing the world that has its own power and insight. At When I graduated, I was working for the city of Portland in what is now called Prosper Portland, and at the time it was the Portland Development Commission. And I was doing community economic development and sustainability, and I realized I am not fit to be a bureaucrat. The There's a lack of creativity and there was not really you don't get to ask questions in those kind of situations you get to ask frame problems mm-hmm. and so working with artists became a way to enter into that that opened up this whole exploratory and critical creative practice right 
of asking these things. What is a job or what is a good job now, right? What is work and what does it mean to be a community and what does it mean to be a community in transition? And how do we ask questions about race and legacy, the legacies of race in these communities and address them? So I went to graduate school in New York after doing that and a program called Design and Urban Ecologies. So in a sense, we were doing a lot of political economy, right? Like what, what are the things that have created this place more than the actual physical elements of it, right? So it became such an experimental form for all of us. And we were actively shaping that program too. And so it gave me a lesson in what it means like to make a pedagogy, right? To make knowledge in a different way, to produce knowledge. The point was, how can you take a, a personal and political stance about the type of work you want to do, articulate whatever project that you're proposing in particular place, and then make it happen, figure out how to coalesce forces um, around that. So the idea of knowledge wasn't this thing that we necessarily acquired. It was a thing that we made, right? So I think one of the most powerful projects in graduate school, so we were working in Medellin, Colombia, and the premise was to do sort of a community planning project that used arts as a form of social and community engagement. We were working with a theater group. It was called Casa Amarillo, the Yellow House, they called it. It had started as a theater of the oppressed workshop crew, theater troupe. The theater troupe would go out into the streets and do these performances, these streets that people were afraid to be in, as a way to reclaim space through art, as a way to use their body as a form of protest and use movement of body and use these stories as a way to reclaim this space. And that was eye-opening to me around where we talk about who are, who get to be seen as the, the arbiters or the holders of knowledge or expertise because they were tasked by the city or they were given responsibility by the city to run the community planning process in their sort of regional of the neighborhood. What ended up in that experience was a way to be flexible with different methodological frameworks, Mm -hmm. right? So our forms of producing knowledge wasn't going around with reports and surveys or wasn't doing traditional data research, but it was doing these like games and plays almost, mm-hmm. and like these immersive theater plays with them. And our understanding of that place was so much more granular because knowledge is never necessarily like, this person lived here and this was the date, right? But knowledge is oftentimes in the body, right? You know this when you see dancers, it's like, oh, there's so much that the body holds and trauma or joy or desire that you can never articulate fully but the way the body moves expresses it differently. And those are things that are hard to capture and to see as accepted in a formalized education system, in my opinion, right? Another project, the idea was just to use art as the, the vehicle of organizing, right? Like, let's turn this march into one giant art parade in a sense where all these different coalitions can have their sculptures and dances and songs and so we use art as a way to bring these different groups together and from housing and to climate justice and it became such a joyful thing hmm. and that was really special 
where it's a lot easier to ask people to come in and help make a banner or a really cool giant sculpture or to paint together and then you build a relationship that way. Art is not necessarily just, especially in terms of politics, art and politics, not as this decorative tool at the end. Oftentimes they're like, artists can paint the banners and make it look beautiful, but artists can actually be creative strategists in many ways for to ask questions and for think of out of the box solutions or approaches to things that hadn't been there before. For me, it's this other question of what is the role of an artist in society? What is the role of an artist in public life? And how do you support those things? And you're seeing that more and more where you have like artists in residence in city halls or state governments, right? What is the what what role can an artist play in society? And what role should an artist play in society and should they play in politics? I've heard this phrase a lot and I'm still trying to decide whether I believe in it fully, but I think it holds merit around the battle of the future will be won through a battle of imagination. That battle for imagination is a very political one, right? Is what kind of future do we want to build? What kind of future do I want to live in? And who else gets to be in that future with us? And the power of artists is in creating a sense of this imagined future that you can touch, feel, smell, you get a glimpse of a little bit. You never get the full future. You, oftentimes in politics, one of the reasons a lot of the politicians now that people are excited about have a sense of this moral and civic imagination that they offer. Mm -hmm. Of here's what, here's the things that we can, not necessarily empty promises that we want to give you this, but here's a society that we can create and politics should, in my opinion, have this sense of we want to offer you this imagination of what things, how things could be. And artists are so good at that. They're so good about giving, telling these stories about here's how things could be, and here's a story about us right now. There's, there's this idea that a lot of artists at some point have to reckon with where they came from. You have to come home to yourself at some point and to know the home that you stepped out of. And if you don't reckon with that, you're missing a large part of who you're identifying. There was an artist named Allison O'Daniel. They had a piece at the Hammer at the Maid in LA. And they're hard of hearing. And her artist statement talks about the first time she got digital hearing aids, hearing the sound of a banana peeling. And she's been doing this years long video piece, asking these questions, right? Around sound and space and community. Walking into the exhibit where these videos were showing, there are a lot of the people that had been cast, and it was like mostly community members, high school students, lots of different types of people. And a lot of these sort of teenagers, younger people, all deaf or hard of hearing, they were in it, and they were there to see this exhibit. And so many of them were on their smartphones, signing to their friends and showing them. And I had never thought about how FaceTiming had opened up a whole new world of communication for signing people and deaf people. And so that was a whole cultural aspect that I just didn't engage in, right? I was more in the hearing world and hard of hearing, but never in the culturally deaf community. And so I was like, all right, I need to like figure out how to think about what this means because 
to to me I was always just normal right to everything just I just I never really felt like uh there were times when I was like okay the hearing aid battery's dead now I gotta like deal with it but to me it was just like having eyeglasses mm-hmm. right and then I had a I had this readjustment almost where I was like what the f- is normal <laughs> well, there's no normal and to <laughs> redefine normalcy as this like range of embodiments and knowledges and capabilities, right? Um, to redefine normalcy as this spectrum that everyone exists on a certain level and plane, and that the ways in which certain environments are set up isn't what in fact dictates whether or not we're seen as capable or disabilities, almost like reach, turning that idea of disabilities on the head. Um, and then I was reading this book, this like the best book of poetry I've read in years called Deaf Republic, written by a hard of hearing poet. And here's a line in there that says that silence is the invention of the hearing. And so to invert that, where deafness isn't necessarily a lack of hearing, it's just another way of being in the world, to not define these things as a lack thereof, but as a different source, a different way of operating and being embodied in the world. And so that's where I recently started thinking more deeply about, one, how my hard of hearing deafness, not culture deaf, but hard of hearing has shaped how I view the world and how I move through the world and how I communicate with others in the world and how I choose to be present in the world and how then bringing in my sort of urban design and architectural background of what are certain spaces that work for me and don't work for me. So I'm trying to bridge the sense of understanding either the products and the systems and structures and what it means to be hard of hearing and move through those things and how I can ask larger questions about that, right? And use that as a way, as my point of view to then highlight systems of inclusion or exclusion. The battle of the future is also itself a battle of imagination and offering a vision of the future that people want to believe in and see themselves in and then offering a vision that people can see themselves coexisting with other people in that. And in that battle for imagination, it's oftentimes seen around the corner as something that isn't quite there yet. And articulating these glimpses of what is yet to come to be, and artists have a particular special ability to draw from that sense of unknown and then give it form and give it life in the present so that people can see or taste or touch or hear or move through something that they don't necessarily know fully yet, but they understand a bit more. And so artists have this ability to reinvigorate a sense of imagination in public life and a real sense of imagination for the future. Not one that's sold to us, but one that we are actively participating in.
So this thing's called periphery. We only step into the frame in small moments. Beauty is in the background where life plays out, where world is made and holds you steady. Our bodies can be our own borders, lured in by reckless promise. We index ourselves against the crowd, subtitling the intentions of others, a neediness for the parts of the world we cannot control. And while focused on narrow affairs, life walks through stage blocking in the periphery while with my hands, I'm still running through my lines. We'll post a full transcript of this episode up on our website, futureprairie.com. If you'd like to see more of Joel's work, you can check out his website at radagenda.com. That's R-A-D-A-G-E-N-D-A dot com. We have some cute Future Prairie merchandise for sale. You can now buy hats, mugs, and tote bags that have our slogan, Keep Dreamin' and Schemin' on them. They were designed by one of our illustrators in our collective. Her name is Libby. She's amazing. I encourage you to check them out and purchase one because we're a nonprofit, so your purchase is tax deductible and will be very helpful in funding our programming. They're all $20 each and can be found on our website. As always, if you have any questions or feedback about this show, you can reach out to us through our website or on social media at Future Prairie. Thanks.